Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of the Limitless Grid Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode, and I promise you guys, you are in here for a treat because I have none other than the Renaissance Man of India, Mr. Rajiv Shetty. So I was introduced to his work by Mr. Bino Choudhury, who I had in my podcast last week, and I was completely mind-blown when I started researching him and learning about his work. So he's a scenographer, interior designer, art curator, social entrepreneur and so much more and he is spending all his life to preserve art from South Asia and make sure that art is not forgotten. So he's also the Padma Bhushan recipient and recipient of many many national and international awards and I had an incredible conversation with him at his house in New Delhi and learned about his life, learned about his parents and their relationship with Mr. Mahatma Gandhi and he shares about his insights and his intuition and what art means to him and so much more. So I had an incredible time talking with him and I learned of insights and life lessons. And I really, really hope you guys get out of this conversation as much as I have gotten out of it. And without further ado, Mr. Rajiv Shetty. Rajiv Shetty, thank you so much for doing my podcast. It has been an absolute honor researching you and knowing about your work. So thank you so much. This has to be my first podcast. I'm honored to see what one. podcast means. <laughs> I'll find out. So most people in the States and I, I would say like Europe, while they are working out or driving, they don't really listen to music. So they listen to podcasts. It could be about anything. Some people do on motivations. And what I do is like, I learn about people like you who are really fascinating and really have an amazing life. And my goal is to showcase stories that shows courage over fear. And I research them and I just share this story with my listeners. I like that. Fear is the root cause of all things wrong. That's wonderful. So you put your finger on fear. Yeah. I mean, you have to tackle fear to... To do anything. What's one thing that you were more fearful of, but you overcame? I think for an artist, uh, fearful of uh, being too sure, mm. fearful of almost to the point of um, um, arrogance. Uh, one has to be f- very fearful of arrogance. I think any artist... Um, needs um, a certain tentative terrain. Um, I think they try not to be vulnerable, Mm. but maybe they are at their best when they are not quite sure. So uncertainty is a good thing for an artist? I think so. I think in that definitive moment is so rare and that makes it special Mm. so you have to constantly remain um, questioning Mm. and it's always saying no 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 keep it here keep it here no 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 not this not this not yet so no a perfectionist or whatever that amounts to 
okay. towards perfection. But perfectionist is also scary. Hmm. It's true. It's true. So I was really curious. So you were born in Delhi to freedom fighters. Your parents yes. were freedom fighters. And you yeah, you showed me pictures. And Mahatma Gandhi used to come yeah. and stay at your yeah. house in Kashmir, which is absolutely incredible. And I wasn't born then, so I don't know how incredible it must have been. <laughs> I came after he was gone from wow. the world. I came in independent India. Wow. But uh, so the freedom fighters and uh, we have to, we get something from their uh, janoon, as mm-hmm. they say, from their um, love for the country, f- from their selfless struggle. You know, when you're struggling for something mm-hmm. bigger than yourself, it's um, you know, the self becomes irrelevant. So one gets that. That idea does come across, and one is always uh, some way or the other in that uh, realm where to give, to share, to be part of mm-hmm. something uh, inspires you. Wow. Is that something you look in your art as well to find something that's bigger than yourself? I think it would not be inspirational otherwise. What would you aspire to? And, and aspirations spark imagination. I think it's, it happens more at a certain age. But, you know, um, I just find everything that I see today amongst the young, I see reflections of that when we were young in the last century. Mm. Same things. So I think it's to do with experience, to do with some... Um, something to do with biology, <laughs> with yeah. with uh, just the development of the Brain. mind yeah. and all these things. Yeah, sure. Play a role. Yeah, but um, I wanted to go back to my question. So you came from a family who were freedom fighters, and your mom was Delhi's first legislative assembly. assembly. So how was growing up in your family? You know, about that, I, my first memory of my mother was being covered in garlands because she defeated a very big hotelier, wow. Oberoi, for the elections. And so she was being carried away. And I thought they were taking it away from me. So I was in a... Uh, in in was being taken away from her while she was being taken away by those wow. who had helped her win, covered in garlands. And that, I said, was, was traumatic. <laughs> so, so seeing her... Uh, going away um, also I suppose uh, when you go into public life you you learn to live with parents who are, are not always there for mm-hmm. you they are there yeah. but physically yeah. there's much more calling and they are away all the time for yeah. something or the other yeah. but when they're there with you they are there completely yeah. And that helps. Did they ever ask you to be in politics? Or? No, for heaven's sake. I, even <laughs> my parents, my mother, you know, politics was a different thing. It wasn't about a profession. You believed in some things and you were part of it. It became a profession much later and I don't think they could have dreamt. In fact, they really thought I would follow 
what the family does. They were all, my grandfather was a barrister, my mother was a lawyer, my father had done law. So they thought, you know, being an artist is a bit of a black sheep. So That was one of my questions too. Oh, really? Well, there you are. (laughs) But then somehow the other, uh, it, um, that was my natural calling. I didn't want to, I wanted never to be in politics because I think, what culture can do, politics can't. Mm. In what way? I think if you are trying to be useful and you want to, um, you want to use the cultural metaphor or the part of you which has a, a talent recognized in the field of culture, then you really have to stay very far away from the power, the the persuasions of someone that has been driven by politics. And I think politics uh, can do things, but definitely not what culture can. Culture reaches the heart. Uh, Politics tends to get very head-dominated. Yeah, I was researching you, and I found that you were one of the first people to uh, design first discotheque. And at the same time, you were working on the legislative side. So that was a really interesting uh, yeah. mixture. Shishti, uh, I've never seen a division between what people consider polarities, whether it's high or low or art or craft or Western or Eastern or rural or urban or um, Western or Eastern, as I said. Mm-hmm. So discothec could engage me with creativity. I never did make any after I was 18. So (laughs) in all fairness, that was a long, long, long time ago. And at the same time, if I was to uh, go and work in a village and work on design with people who I uh, felt needed my Mm -hmm. skill, it was equally as fulfilling. So I never saw that as um, as polar opposites. So yes, but I, it was art. That it was a little more because art is huge. Mm-hmm. I don't know which labyrinth that's going to take me, but uh, I do understand rasa. I do understand the word that makes the sap move, and your emotional retina begins to respond. I do believe that there's something about being moved. Mm. And those issues I I recognize, I identify with. And as long as that creative urge is, um, is spontaneous and is complete, I'm not really bothered where and how and for who it appears. Yeah. Could be sitting with a king or a queen or the very rich and having a a great whatever you want to call them blow up dinner. Mm-hmm. And I could be sitting in the mud hut eating a good roti with a simple piece of piaz and equally relishing every bit of it. That's amazing. Um I interview mostly entrepreneurs, but and you're the first artist I have. Ever. They're entrepreneurs. There's an entrepreneurs 
entrepreneurship of spirit. Mm. Unless we are entrepreneurs, we could never be artists. In what way? I think artists is, you know, there are, there are artists who are very self-contained and do it for themselves. And their art is, um, is answers its own, uh, pers- its own, it has its own persuasion. But I think, um, for me, it becomes complete when it goes out to others. And uh, when there is, there is a certain amount of uh, alchemy mm. with sharing. And that requires a spirit of enterprise. And when you see that becoming sustainable, and when you are finding means to be able to do what you're doing, and others benefiting from that, that's like somebody that you've interviewed before who makes fortune for the community, or builds a, mm-hmm. a something that um, is best shared. Mm-hmm. It's like giving in your own way, son. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, giving and taking. You can only give if you know how to take, and huh. vice versa. It's a nice concept. No, it's... Try it. <laughs> but, um, so I wanted to ask you, most of my listeners are, you know, like really into entrepreneurship, especially social entrepreneurship, and I used to do banking, and I hated it. I just did it for wrong reasons, and... A lot of my friends do things because they want to have a social status or do something with their life. And they spend 50 to 60 hours a week doing something they absolutely hate. But at the same time, they're like, oh, I have to do it because I have to make a living. But you seem someone who is moved by your spirit or you create your life inside out. What advice would you give to millennials who are doing jobs for the wrong reasons? I don't think actually anyone does anything just for money. I think even the most um, die-hard opportunists have uh, something else that money can't bring. And um, uh, that always lurks in their, mm-hmm. in their uh, heart of desire. Yeah. Um, but money is, a, is empowering. Money is... Um, um, is seductive um, money is facilitates um, but it's also very limited so obviously you have to uh, you have to find great things that money can't buy mm-hmm. and those great things are really things that have no cost so anyone who's making money to be able to buy anything um, is also quite aware that there are some things that money can't buy. Yeah, so I was referring to, you know, like I have an accountant friend who loves philosophy and who loves drawing, but she's like, I would never make a living doing philosophy and drawings and she's in investment banking and she will call me once a week and Christ, I just wanted to see what your thought was to someone who knows that that's not their calling in life, yet they are doing it for a wrong reason? Uh, no, doing anything for the wrong reason is not enriching for 
the soul of course one needs to mm-hmm. uh, to put a stop to mm-hmm. something that is is uh, and put a stop to it as quickly as possible mm-hmm. uh, if it's not really uh, making you happy happy yeah. so of course that is without question but I, i think that happiness is very relative i mean you know you could i think belief is important i think if you're really doing something and if money is your your means to do it then do it with great passion mm-hmm. and do it like look at the chettiars or the marwaris <laughs> they were fortune builders yeah. you know and they they lived breathed thought of nothing else but how to create fortunes mm-hmm. how to build them mm-hmm. so uh fortune is a kind of worth than money and fortune is uh it's it can be very very contagious because mm-hmm. it it's um it's it generates um abundance mm-hmm. uh, profit doesn't have to be a bad word mm-hmm. profit is not a bad word now when i was young and i was you know like every young uh, <laughs> against anything that smacked of capital um, i hated the word profit so we all were part of some not for profit endeavor we still are and because it wasn't profit we weren't seeking it for ourselves mm-hmm. but we do need a, a certain currency that makes what we're doing possible so sustainability uh, is profit is to maintain that uh, belief and i think to go for it in an innovative way with a sense of commitment with a certain sense of responsibility is um desirable so i guess generating profit is a w- way of art as well it's if it's not art it's un- it's unhappy sure the art the art is 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 a skill where the emotion and the mind the intellect connect mm. and uh, uh, i i don't think it can be one dimensional search is uh, pointless i use the word emotional retina even the way to look can just be about aesthetics but what moves you you know aesthetics can move you but and they can also cleanse your soul but i think uh it has to sit somewhere and i think um for me it's has to be more than just the form aesthetics is too skin deep we always this in tune with your emotions no and that's the hazards of emotion and that's the hazard of learning to um to find yourself and that's 
what being an artist is about. Finding yourself. I wanted to ask you this question. You said that if you have to be an architect, you have to be a dancer. To be a dancer, you have to be a musician. And musician requires poetry and mathematics, and everything gets linked. And I'm reading a biography on Leonardo da Vinci. And the Renaissance. Yeah. The Renaissance man. Yeah. Yes. And, and you're a Renaissance man of India. I, <laughs> I, I would, I would not, never claim such a huge honorific. But I do would say that even what you said, I said, I didn't. It's Vishnu Dharmotra Puran. Uh, and it's... Uh, very, it's put in there. It's, I think it's a Markandeya discussion in, in that I don't know the exact chapter. But this was long ago. Indians always thought of transdisciplinary discourse, yeah. touching a thread that could weave its way through the whole fabric. You pull one and the yeah. whole thing gets affected. So everything is connected. And everything connected is something that one of my gurus, Charles and Ray Eames, taught me again and again that everything is connected. And yet another great friend called Margaret Eustenau, she's dead, she's a French poet, said once that, and she was a medieval poet who said, you cannot pluck a flower without altering a star. Wow. So um, these connections are, uh, are extremely energizing uh, to discover, to play with, to to really find a creative medium in their um, speaking to each other. Wow, it's true. You cannot pluck up a flower without shaking Altering a star. star. Yeah, that's beautiful. But, you know, I was reading his book and he talks about how to be a you know great artist, you need to know engineering and art and body sure. and everything. So is it really important to be in tune with your right brain and left brain to be a create a ma masterpiece? Oh, look, that's to do with male and female parts of us too. That's the male the male uh, practical doing and the female intuitive. Unless the the Eldenarishwar in, in us, unless the concept of the male and the female are balanced, uh, creativity is less exciting. How do you balance that? Not for the asking. I think one has to keep uh, feeling this part of you. It's a, bit, it's a tricky question. I don't quite know how to answer it because I have never tried to deconstruct that thought in my mind. How do I balance? I Something doesn't feel correct. I think you just have to uh, allow these parts of you to retain their, their synthesis, the, the male and the female. The female in me is quite evolved. Uh, I'll give you an instance. I remember when we were young kids, one of my very influential godmothers, Mrs. L.K. Jha, used to take me to work with lepers. And, uh, you know, we would do that because we were from a family that said, you must go and do all this, you mm -hmm. must do all that. Mm -hmm. So we'd do it anyway. But I would write letters for them or keep their clothes oh. in order but I could never bathe them. And she would. She'd come and she'd bathe them and she'd, wow. you know, clean them up. So I used to say, well, how do you do this? You know, I, I can't do that. So she said, well, I'm a mother. So that really stayed with me at a very early age. 
almost, I think, must have been ten. Wow. So I said, what is this mother? So I referred to the mother in me. So you had that curiosity to even question that question, I mean, the answer that she gave you. No, because it said, yeah, I'm a mother. So why can't I be mother? Because wow. I'm a boy, I have to be a father. So what is his mother? So if fathers can't do it, then why can mother do it? But why can't I be a mother too? Hmm. So that those kind of things uh, help you um, challenge the stereotype yeah. or what we're taught to behave and be. We have to constantly um, question that yeah. thing. And then somewhere along the line, you, you, know, you become balanced. You don't seek balance. It's not like you, you know, in, in another matter when we talk of architecture, we say, basti basna kel nahi hai, baste baste basti hai. <laughs> Meaning that it's not easy to just make a settlement. While settling and settling and settling, it settles. So if you have a game plan to find yourself a balance, you end up pretty unbalanced. Say so like life happens when you are planning it. Yes, processes are more important. Processes have always been more important. Than the result. By the end result, by the end product. Wow. Process makes you the whatever it's going to. Wow. You've created some of the greatest masterpieces. And they, what is one project that you're really proud of and why? That's like asking which of my grandchildren I love very much. As they walk in, I, I couldn't say that easily. I I think there are many projects I like for different reasons. I liked this silk route that I did in Washington uh, for the Smithsonian because it helped me travel to uh, Central Asian countries seeking common civilizational um, memories, uh, common cultural currencies that uh, uh, over many centuries develop into something that had all the parts were different, but the whole was recognizable. Mm-hmm. So Silk Route was that. My work with uh, uh, Expo 2000 at Hanover, which is make the main theme pavilion, really made me question what's the difference between need and greed. Mm. So what is basic needs? I did the pavilion on basic needs. So I really questioned the very idea of how we define what we need to live to look at the whole concept of carbon footprints and uh, meet what we're doing to our yeah. world. How um, long did it take? If you want to explain more about the project. In many cases, well, there's so many. Yeah. I mean, there's a, that book which you can carry with you. There are about uh, more than uh, 50 projects. How many countries did you go to find what the basic the, needs? Basically, it's 52 countries. Wow. And it was wonderful because they were quite different from one to the other. I mean, I... Go to, I go to looking for the intangible need of freedom and peace okay. and love. Tibet. So I said, let me go to Tibet. Mm-hmm. And so I take Chinese artists with me to Tibet to explain yeah. what uh, basic would be for these sentiments that yeah. the Tibetans feel that the Chinese are not yeah. helping them much with. Yeah. So that was very good because, you know, you making people who are uh, so-called oppressors uh, think like the oppressed. And wow. artists have a way of internalizing and uh, being able to communicate. 
So that was nice. You know, there were many things like this. Each project had a... The airport was a, an extremely important Mumbai airport, uh, right? task of mm-hmm. trying to bring art into the public domain to see how patronage of corporate India can really go out to serve the larger cause of uh, uh, art in the public space. Mm-hmm. And uh, to make a, an area which is otherwise mundane, sort of liminal, but people come in and go out without much ado, suddenly you have that moment of reflection when they come in and or they go out in that liminal space to, uh, to touch some chords that they wouldn't otherwise mm-hmm. address. I loved that concept of basic need and greed. How long did it take you to do that project? It took me about three and a half years. Wow. Apo took five years. Silkwood took two years. Barcelona was on microcredit on Universal Forum of Cultures, looking at the five senses, the Panch Mahabhut, and how they manifest themselves in, in uh, organized action by communities to meet their uh, varied requirements. And uh, so all these were uh, international projects. But there were lots in India, where I would go into a village and live there for three years, looking at design as a way to create products for rural consumers, mm. not for the export market or not for global boutiques. And yet there were projects where I was looking at global corporate uh, people like Louis Vuitton mm-hmm. and making things in the villages which could adorn their windows in all their stores, thousand stores, yeah. the world over. So there is a back and forth. As I said, there are no silos. <laughs> Life is quite seamless. Yeah. You know, like one of the things I love about you is that you are known for preserving and celebrating the subcontinent culture heritage. Why is that important? And are people in rural areas losing skills? Uh, I think it's very important because skills is what makes us who we are. If tigers are important, if penguins are important, if the environment is important, why are human skills mm-hmm. that I manifest in this incredible instrument less important? You know, only people, humans can do this with their thumb and this universal dexterity. Monkeys can't. They have bigger palms to swing on branches. Mm -hmm. We do this, and that's why our minds evolved. So this instrument has a direct connection with my head, and that made me from primate to a human being. Now, do you want this to become just a beak so we can keep pressing buttons (laughs) and then these can all drop off, Mm -hmm. like indeed our molars? We don't have to chew on raw meat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think uh, I think uh, skills are extremely important. And heritage that is nurtured gives a sense of who we are, of identity, mm-hmm. of pride. And uh, we belong. And we believe. And uh, we are anchored. And the deeper our roots go, the higher we can fly. We are not... We're not being pulled in. Mm-hmm. We're being able to fly out because we feel secure. Also in simple terms, 
in a knowledge society, creating original content is the real edge. So they become like everybody else. If the whole world is homogenized, might happen when the Martians come, because <laughs> then we'll all see ourselves as human beings. But till the Martians come, let's celebrate diversity. Yeah. How can we as millennials, or what can we do to preserve those skills so it doesn't get lost? I, I think that um, at a very theoretical level, at a policy level, has to do with pedagogy. You have to go back to schools to let children discover the world of senses. Cannot allow them that to shrink because mm-hmm. that shrinks. Everything else will go. Mm-hmm. They have to understand the value of labor, working with one's hands, with their minds, with their bodies, and not be just completely vicariously drawn into screens. The screen times must get limited. Mm-hmm. Too much of computer, too much of telephone, too much of the screens and screens and screens and screens. And mm-hmm. It's all vicarious. They're doing less. So I think better at one policy level, that's pedagogy. At an individual level, I think um, one really must cope with with time to be in nature. It's true. And be quiet. It's true. You meditate? We all do. Like Even those who say they can't do. What kind of meditation do you do? Not that I... I think I... I'm creating my own uh, recipe. I haven't. I don't follow a, a guru. Okay. I haven't got the magic mantra whispered into my ear. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that, but it hasn't been hasn't happened. Um, well, I I give some time in the morning mm. to myself, and I sit in one place and I think of people I've loved, people I've uh, worked with, and their sequencing has a a certain calming effect. So you're grateful for that every morning? I am. I'm deeply grateful to people who uh, allow me to be. That's so important. I think we forget that, right? Yeah. So it helps to remember them. Yeah. Do you have anything else in your morning routine? Uh, uh, yes, I've just taken to... Um, I'm living in this temporary house at the moment... But there's a park which used to be a derelict jungle, which they've converted into a park. But they've also put these great mad machines out in the open air. To somebody like me who was completely driven by inclusive experiences, and I can never go to a special club or a health, <laughs> health joint or a spa, just going out there in the open and going in all these weighing, these machines with women from you know, from the neighborhood. There may be ladies in burqas <laughs> and there may be housewives who've never, never, never even stepped on a, a wow. on a machine. Together with me going at it, <laughs> I think that's a morning routine that I'm beginning to enjoy enormously. That's amazing. I've done it in the last two months. It's not showing. But it's <laughs> <laughs> you feel good, so that's all that matters, right? Yeah. And one of the things that's really amazing is that you are providing sustainable livelihood for artisans through microfinance. What was your experience with that project? Well, it began with my close association and great admiration for Ila Bhatt in Seva. She's a dear friend and mm-hmm. I've really learned a great deal from her tenacity, from her being able to really, uh, without 
much fuss, uh, empower people, self-empower. Mm-hmm. Not she's not the one empowering. Mm-hmm. She just makes them uh, feel that they can empower themselves, and that's wonderful. Then Muhammad Yunus also, who I knew, oh, I and uh, you saw the science of the small becoming big by the strength of coming together and uh, uh, not looking at governments for support systems that, um, you know, that leave you um, debilitated and sort of, sort of helpless. So I think microcredit is extremely important because the strength of the poor when they come together, we are very rich because we have such a wide variety of skills mm-hmm. that make us rich with our uh, knowledge of our traditional knowledge systems, our heritage, our culture. Now, when you start making this into a creative and cultural enterprise, into an industry, you can't do this with big capital alone. Mm-hmm. You have to do it with people's own participation. And unless they feel comfortable uh, with something that creates revenue models, with something that they are doing, which they are in charge Mm -hmm. of, which they are in control of, Mm -hmm. it will always mean uh, doing less and less with more and more. How to do more with less is a very important thing. How to do more with less. And community teaches us that. Mm. People who are poor teach us that. You've dared to be different and you've dared to set a new trend. And I think, I mean, being a... I don't know if I've dared. I wouldn't know what else to do. Maybe about some madness that I I've seem to have lost over the years. Yes, but otherwise I'm pretty sure that I want to be able to do what I uh, have planned over many decades. And mm-hmm. I'm not there still. It's, and I'm not seeking the light at the other end of the tunnel. That's one reason I keep doing things. So you also said that, you know, like you've succeeded because you have failed. What was one of your biggest failure you're proud of? I have more failures than success. Many more failures. There were many, many things that I've wanted to do that I've not been able to do. And that it would be lying, I'm lying to say that they don't still hurt. They do, uh, they pain because along with my failures, uh, there was um, um, expectations that couldn't be met by people who joined me in my dreams. There was this uh, whole village for artisans and performers that I've been working on for almost 40, 45 years. And wow. I failed there. Well, I, it hasn't finished. The story hasn't finished. But for the moment, it's just been a series of failures. Unless they get their homes, um, I feel that I've, I've led them up the wrong path. So I have to continue to strive. There are many things. There are many exhibitions I've done that had a roadmap for being able to reach out and uh, get recognition in such a way that those who helped me make it would get source of livelihood and would be able to sustain themselves from what we were able to do with collective energy. That hasn't reached their doorstep. 
it's got to me. I've got awards. I've got recognized. I have you come and speak to me, all that. But they stay where they are. That's a big failure. Amazing when you're like talking about failures. You're not even talking about yourself. You're like, I don't want to let someone else down, and that's very it's, unselfish. It's my skill. No, I see myself being the cause of that. So it's my failure. I'm the cause. I'm not able to able to effectively do what I wanted to do. Something must have gone wrong. For every finger I point, three point point back at me. So those are issues that I have to. To grapple with, I need to improve myself. Something I'm going to learn: never blame someone else. Well, when you do this, <laughs> three fingers are pointing back. Yeah. Or would you make a point? Three point back. I know you have to go to the airport, so I just want to ask two more questions. Um, yeah. What advice would you give to your 24-year-old self? I wish I'd listened more. Yeah. I really wish I'd listened more. And yet, maybe if I'd listened too much, I wouldn't be where I am. So it's also sometimes not listening <laughs> and doing what intuitively seems good. Yeah, it can take you in either direction. What I think I really would like to tell them is never, never be cynical. No, that's the easiest thing to be. And it gets you nowhere. Mm. It's a really good advice. And just jump into deep waters because you can't learn to swim otherwise. Yeah. You know, just, just don't think beyond the desire to learn to swim. It'll come. Don't think beyond the desire to learn to swim. That's beautiful. I know you read a lot. I was in your bathroom and there were still books. So any books, two books you would recommend, two or three books? No, for someone who has many books but hasn't read all of them at all, <laughs> it's a difficult question. But I, uh, uh, no, I think if you're, it's different. If you're a designer, there's a good book on how to wrap four eggs, which I think you should look at. If there is a thing on development, you should look at Pedagogy of the Oppressed, Paulo Freire. Huh. If you're really to education further, then Ivan Elich on uh, de-schooling. De-schooling. And uh, there are these kind of books that are uh, um, uh, challenge the paradigms that are useful to have. Okay. Uh, but I was a great one for uh, visual idioms. I loved comic books. Loved to read magazines and whatever comes by. I don't know what the pod is like or what... Podcast. <laughs> what, the millennials. What so. these are like. But uh, I preferred something tactile in my hand yeah. to deal with. So that's why the libraries are full of books. I love that. I'm sure there's 10 times those libraries at the tip of a fingertip. Yeah. But I haven't got to those. I have uh, them, but it's nothing like feeling a book. Yeah, I, I imagine that... Um, but then, you know, people evolve <laughs> and evolution can take you to any level. True. Last question. What is your definition of courage? Courage is about, I think, uh, being relentless in, your, um, in what you believe is right and to not, and not to give until 
you're proved wrong. Hey guys, thank you so, so much for tuning into this podcast. If this podcast has added value in your life in any way, shape or form, then please subscribe and leave a comment and I will talk to you guys next week.